Hello, and welcome to the Queer Caucus. Three queers, too many opinions, one, one podcast. podcast. My name is Cassidy Flynn. And I'm Jill Kamler. And this podcast is produced by Jan O'Leary. I can tell you how the story goes. If you die, we just get old. All together, all alone. All alone, all alone. Like your mother and your father, too. All grown up, but they're just like you. And you're gonna do it all anew. Better run for the hills, run for the hills, run. Hey, Jill. What's up? Not a whole lot. How are you? Um, I'm good. If I, if I sound sick, it's because I am. So. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think I sound pretty good right now. I just like huffed some like stuff that my doctor gave me. Hell yes. Huffing um, stuff. Is it like yeah. hella strong? No. Sudafed it's like, shit? It's like Flonase. Like it's not Lol. hardcore. <laughs> Um, I just didn't have time to like neti pot before I re- recorded this, and I was like worried I was gonna be like, oh my god. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but real talk though, neti pots are fucking awesome. That'll they get the are, job done. But I'm scared of them. Like my paranoia kicks in, and I'm like, oh my god, what if like I get the bacteria from you get the water an infection in, in my your brain? brain. Yes. Yeah, like I've read yes. the articles, and I'm like, oh my god. Jill, what's in your queue? What's going oh my on, god. pal? Yeah, so my cue, I got my medical card. For those of you who don't know what that means, um, I got my medical marijuana card. I live in California. Uh, We did pass recreational this past, like, uh, local election season, which is, like, supposed to go into effect soon. However, I don't know. I just, I didn't want to (laughs) wait. I really didn't. And I got it online. Like, I didn't do anything. Like, oh my God, you can so get it easy. online? <laughs> yes. That is the ultimate catering oh, to, yes. like, weed Stoners. consumers' needs. <laughs> and then you, you can get your shit delivered, like, to the to your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Just as much as this people think this country is crumbling, California is on a California steady rise. California has it on top. Like, wow. we, we're not fucking around. Yeah, I don't smoke because it hurts my throat, but I do like to eat edibles. So, uh, I have a lot of chocolate. Like, I got yeah. chocolate. You've been doing this. So, how <laughs> potent is this weed chocolate? Like, would you... Because oh, I know depends. edibles are tr- can be traditionally more potent, depending upon, yeah. like, how they're prepared. But, like, how would For you sure. describe the potency? Uh, well, I have, like, different kinds. Like, I have a chocolate bar that's, like, 60 milligrams of THC in a bar. And then I have one that's, like, 180 in a bar. And oh. then I have one that's like um high cbd like a one-to-one ratio so that the high is like not psychoactive it's just like super chill cool um so like cbd is you know the non-psychoactive part of marijuana essentially so people use that for like pain relief more than like they use it for getting high um in the sense that we know like high to be i have only eaten like some of my chocolate uh I've, (laughs) i've eaten the cbd part so i haven't been like psychoactively like tripping or anything but I just feel really relaxed. And not, so I've been like really like tentatively like eating like a quarter of a square and being like waiting. <laughs> like <laughs> You all cannot see right now, but Jill is, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like you're perching with your eyes wide open. The full anticipation. That's what's happening. <laughs> yes. Because I'm like, it, it, you have to like wait like two hours before you're supposed to eat more. Like if you don't feel it. Because oh, like sure. what a lot of people do is they're like, I'll take the small dose and then, oh, I don't feel anything. I'm going to eat like twice as much and then they get fucked because they didn't wait long enough for their body to metabolize it oh my god that is so funny so you can get anything you want honestly like they have everything in an edible i have chocolate covered espresso beans i have gummies i have candy like i got it all other in my queue i just finished my improv 101 class at ucb so that was really fun yeah it was a great time i had a really awesome teacher and a really great class and i'm so glad i took it um i can't wait to continue the course of study there so improv has been a cool thing in my life in the last year it's been keeping me going and yeah that was really fun sweet and that's kind of what's in my queue what about you Oh, God, what's in my queue? Um, About a week ago, I got back from Rome. That was so cool. So my close friend Isadora Grossman, shout out, and I went to Rome for about five or six days, and we took a day trip up to Florence. Fucking incredible, dude. Every day, it's like you get up and you, like, walk down the streets of Rome, and there's, like, there's a Roman ruin. There's another Roman ruin. There's the Colosseum. Like, it's it's ins- it's just insane how much um, historic culture these uh, people are just entrenched in. Um, yeah. So the, the food was amazing. I mean, lunch in Italian culture is kind of like the meal of the day like it's the prime meal Mm. so um it was really cool to go to lunch and uh 
be like, yeah, you're going to like sit down and like be here for like three hours. Like that wow. was like the expectation. Okay. So side note, kind of to this vein, I have to tell the story um, about one experience we have. So there's this restaurant called Da Enzo. It's on the south side of Rome in the Trastevere neighborhood. And um, it's like a local place. And my friend that I was traveling with, her uncle recommended we go. And so, you know, it opens at noon and before, okay. like at noon, there's already like 20 people standing outside waiting to get in. And like, you can kind of peer in, like the whole staff is sitting down and eating lunch together. This is oh. apparently a very European custom for like staffs of restaurants to like sit down, eat, and then get up, clear their plates, and then open the restaurant. But oh, like technically so they're nice. open. I know, it's amazing. Cause like that's, that's another part of it. Just like, there's such a different value on um, the food and restaurant or the food and beverage industry in yeah. in European countries and other countries as opposed to the states. So just for reference, I have you know worked in food and beverage for many years of my life, and never in ever in my life have I worked in a restaurant where it's like you open at noon, but you're like the staff is sitting down oh, and yeah, eating no at way. noon. No. Yeah. So anyway, you know, it's like 12, it's 1220, it's 1240. There are currently probably a hundred people piling up outside of this restaurant, which probably seats like maybe 50 people. Like oh, it's shit. tiny. And like my friend and I were the fourth party there. So there were like maybe eight people ahead of us. And um, this guy comes out and like this general manager's like smoking a cigarette. He's like clearly <laughs> looks like he'd been up like all night long. He was like, all right. And he starts like speaking Italian. And thankfully the friend that I traveled with speaks Italian. And I was like, what's he saying? And she's like, he said that he said that they're going to open up pretty soon, which means like seat people, which, you know, is like an hour has gone by. And he's like, we're going to see people wow. based on when you all arrived. And I'm like, good fucking luck trying to figure out who got here first. Yeah. Um, but it was just so interesting because then, you know, then we get seated and we have this amazing meal and you always drink wine, like with every meal. Like, and so their, <laughs> right. and so their house wine, like table wine is like extraordinary. Like oh in God. the States anywhere, like table wine is going to be like, blech. That's oh, exactly super disgusting. cheap like franzia like. yeah fucking box wine <laughs> that they like, like decanted into like a plastic decant or yeah. whatever so yeah like you wake wake up get a cappuccino and a croissant and then you go to lunch drink a bottle of wine yeah. have a bowl of pasta go home take a nap do the same thing for oh dinner God. and then, Why am I and then go to bed Italy? i know it was uh, amazing that um, sounds amazing yeah so we saw the duomo we saw uh oh, when yeah. we were in florence we saw the david in florence Saw the Sistine Chapel. Um, saw like wow. saw a lot of Caravaggio with the Uffizi. I mean, it was it was just it was just amazing. That and, is um, awesome. It was really really well timed in life. Um, also, yeah, like Italy is dead in December, so you should totally try and uh, oh. find those dead months because we got to sit in the Sistine Chapel with like ten other people and stare at it for an hour and a half. It was insane. Holy shit. Whereas traditionally, you are in there like sardines, like cannot yeah. fucking like move so that's on my cue still kind of reeling from a really really excellent trip um there wasn't a whole lot of queer culture going on in rome that i saw i'm going to admit that like you know i was only there for five or six days um i'd done some digging but there was one street right uh near the coliseum where it was like there were a couple of like clearly um uh clearly marked gay bars or queer places, mm. queer spaces, but they didn't seem to be like as poppin' and also there were like so many places to go. So as much to, to my, you know, dismay, we did not do a whole lot of queer things while we were there. But yeah, the food and the culture and the people, amazing. I saw four shows this weekend. It was a great weekend for theater. I saw an wow. adaptation of Lysistrata. I saw a remounting of a play called The Residence of Craigslist uh, that <gasps> a friend of mine or this company is a Close, close friends of mine run this company, and it's essentially a play crafted all on source text from St. Louis Craigslist. Yeah. Didn't um, you tell me about that, like, a long time ago? Yes, this... yes. It's a company. Yeah. Um, they did the first show probably three years ago. They remounted it for a, a festival a oh, year yeah. after that, and they remounted it this December That's as so a cool. fundraiser. It's probably one of the funniest fucking plays I've ever read in my entire <laughs> life. I'm not – or seen in my entire life. Not even joking. Um, and I think you can get the rights to it. Uh, so shout out to Equally Represented Arts – era a st louis based uh non-traditional theater company they're super fucking cool and uh then i saw a really cool play called remnant which is a post-apocalyptic christmas play it's Whoa. really cool it's based on the premise that like this plague has had uh, had like broken out um around this time and that it's like 75 Damn. years into the future and like there are these pockets of humanity is still left living in the states uh it's all about how like this culture of technically like north americans like canadians and americans um are trying to 
cling to the past that they know so little wow. about because so much was destroyed. And they're trying to figure out how to celebrate Christmas. And, like, every oh, the whole play is written in this, like, broken text because they've also lost a lot of rhetoric in this bit massive plague. So, anyway, that was really cool. And then today I saw this lovely Christmas play called Hans Brinker and the Silver Skates at Metro Theatre Company. Aww. So, I went to Rome. Cute. I saw a lot of theater this weekend. And, uh... Just living my holiday life. I fucking love the holidays, y'all. I don't have an ounce of Christianity in my heart, but I fucking love Christmas. <laughs> this is the time to be alive. Oh, my God. Yeah, as Anne Friedman says, I was born without the gene for religion. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that missed me. Jill, wait, what was that little fable that your mom or your dad would sing about, like, people who were born on Mondays? It's like... Oh I think you talked God. about this on one of the episodes, but it's like, yes, born on a Monday, had... must be guy, born on a oh Tuesday, God, finna on... be a hard worker, something like yeah. that. Monday. It's so, I don't know, it always gives me a laugh because I think the Wednesday people, people born on Wednesdays are like really melancholy people. Yeah, the Wednesday ones are like fucking like, you're gonna have like seasonal affect disorder like your whole life. Yeah, I was like, born on a Wednesday, filled with woe. Like some wives yeah. tale where like, you basically are able to determine the entire like personality oh it's uh, monday's child it's called monday's child Found monday's it. child what's it what yeah. is it jill shall we recite it once more please do i don't know <laughs> i don't know why i know this podcast has already featured this very poem slash wives you know tale, what? but People it's need so to hear funny it. hear it again take it <laughs> away jilly monday's child is fair of face tuesday's child is full of grace wednesday's child is full of woe <laughs> thursday's child has far to go Friday's child is loving and giving. Saturday's child must work for a living. But the child that's born on the Sabbath day is fair and wise and good and gay. Fair well, and wise and good and gay! That's yeah, right! Actually, I was born on Sunday, so I am gay. <laughs> I think I was born on a Tuesday, so I think I'm full of grace. Isn't that what it isn't, was? Yeah. Isn't that fucking weird that one of them's like, um, you know what? You're going to be like lower middle class. And yeah. the other one's like, you're going to be sad all the time. Saturday <laughs> so people are going to be the working class, and like one-seventh of the population are going to be woeful. <laughs> Which yeah, also indicates, crazy. Jill, that one-seventh of the population are queer. Oh, I wish. Uh, yeah. Like, we have this old wives' tale to indicate mm. that all y'all motherfuckers <clears throat> born on a Sunday, um, you gotta be queer. Uh, actually, I saw recently that, like, California did some kind of survey and, like, 27% of its, like, youth identifies outside of the gender binary. Yes. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. That is a lot of people, but also it is a very real ass. The future's queer. Yes, the future is queer, which kind of gets into our big gay agenda, Jill. Yes, it does. Yeah, I think one of the first points we were going to talk about is the... um, the advent of a brand new or relatively brand new media slash news corporation called Them, um, focusing specifically on creating LGBTQIA content and reporting on related news. Um, yeah. I first saw this um, this man named Philip Picardi, who uh, is a director at Teen Vogue, is also now, I believe, yeah. the chief um, content creator. And I've always mm-hmm. loved his work. I think he writes a lot of great stuff. I also just think he's like got a great internet presence. So I like to follow he and his uh, colleague Elaine Welteroth. I love to follow their stuff. Um, but anyway, so we I started taking around and I sent this over to Jill. And they've already been like creating some great um, like informative yeah. content, both video and article related. Jill, yeah, have you... Did you see their like bed series? Or their, like... Yes. Yeah, that was really sweet. It was really endearing. I mean, for those of you who haven't seen this, please check it out. Go to them just all lowercase letters, um, type it into Facebook or them.com or something like that. Um, Them.us, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll be able to see that one of the most latest pieces of content they created was this bed series where they, like, had a one woman who, who likes to be involved in... Um, various types of group sex um talk a little bit about uh this person's experience she's also or this person's also a person of color um and then they had another uh person who I, i'm going to assume is like a cis gay identifying man and he is very interested in the bdsm culture and pup play and a lot of things that he talks about his experience um in that realm of sexual intimacy so the third video in the piece featured a couple where uh one of the people in the relationship was a cis man 
And the other partner was a trans man. So this person who had been um, undergoing a transition for about a year, and they discussed uh, their sexual intimacy as it pertained to uh, before one of the partners transitioned, during transition, and, and up until that point in time. One of the first things that the partner who's transitioning said was the minute that they started to transition, uh, they started, they'd never been more wet. And they like started coming like so much more like voraciously. Wow. And like through this recognition and like full embracing of their gender identity and their yeah. partner being like incredibly supportive of this it. transition yeah. like their sex life became um more bountiful like go That's fucking so figure cool. supporting your partner like yeah. leads to more bountiful sex so i don't know i'm really excited to see what kind of stuff they create in the future and the kind the kind of like commentary that they that they continue to have um so a lot of what they're what they're discussing is thrown through the prism of race as it pertains as it intersects with queer identity and gender yeah. as it intersects with uh, queer identity so I'm really excited to see the kind of stuff that they continue to make I think we're kind of at a unique part in history where like obviously like things are not all great and like there are still like people who very much like want queer people to uh, disappear or suffer yeah but like when I was a kid this didn't exist you know and I think about that a lot when I see like new media come up that I'm like wow this is amazing like what if I had that when I was 16 or what if I had that resource when I was young how would I be different or would I be like healthier or happier or whatever like I just I think about that a lot considering that like so many of like the queer youth struggle with like themselves and their home life and like acceptance and coming out like just to have that resource on the internet would have been really different I think. What makes this to me a little bit more novel and, and a little bit more exciting is the fact that it feels very much like, and and forgive me listeners out there if there's like another or a very uh, adjacent kind of uh, content creation company or or, or, or a media company that, that has been doing something like this for a while, but so BuzzFeed, for example, BuzzFeed has been a big player in the game for a while now, mm -hmm. and they have a whole contingent called BuzzFeed LGBT, and something about them feels a little bit more real and tangible yeah. because it's not like it's not a media eight. company with right it, well, right exactly it's not <laughs> a media company like that's like and now we have the subsidiary for the theme of queerness like it's like no this is right what we do and all we do yeah and and that to me is what i that to me is more validating it's more interesting to me and more exciting to me to see a media company recognizing the fact that there is not a media company filling this niche the way in the way that it probably should and so they're totally. coming forward being being a flagship company saying we are a media company for this constituency as opposed yeah. to i'm like a major media company and like i also want to like satiate all the all the yeah. constituents i have so I i'm gonna have like a theme for the off gay of people every demographic that i can yeah yeah well like autostraddle there's like a part of the website that you can go see this i think it's like in their like story about us or like maybe it's frequently asked questions but it's sort of like uh, you know autostraddle is an inclusive like website for like queer people and women and lesbian women and bisexual women and like all kinds of different people so why is a lot of your like branding focusing on lesbianism and they were like oh well it's because it's really really hard to like get the like search engine optimizer like companies like buzzfeed lgbt and mm -hmm. HuffPost queer they like dominate that field so when people type in like lesbian or queer women like or like anything that's like a little bit more broad then right. those results come up first and so they're like it's hard for us to compete with that kind of traffic so like this is the way that like we can pointedly get the most amount of like search I guess results mm. and I was like that's really interesting that like those companies are kind of taking up more space than they should in terms yeah. of like the internet and who gets access to what you know like I, I didn't ever think about that before that their traffic is taking away traffic from the smaller companies like autostraddle or like them or who have been doing it for a long, for a time. long time yeah 17 just dropped like a, a little platform called here yes it's really similar to to them except for you know obviously it's a it's a branch of 17 but it's really cool too like i think one of their like opening videos was andrea gibson's poem uh oh, your wow. life and yeah. i like watched it and i was like oh my god like i was like sobbing like i love queer people so much like yes it was so beautiful and like on the one hand it's cool right that like mainstream companies are like acknowledging this need and they're like trying to fill it so, yeah. like, on the one hand, we can be like, that's fucking cool. But on the other hand, 
we have to like also support the smaller businesses and publications that have been in the game for a lot longer. Yeah. And like I think it comes back to like who's at the table and like who's who has the power. Like are we supporting those people who are like already like, you know, in an abuse of power or like just a board member full of like white guys or are right. we supporting like actual queer people who are producing their own content like it depends i think one of the reasons that i first got really excited about them was um i was in florence this was this past week i was in florence and we were taking our we were getting ready to take our train back to rome and it's like the middle of the night and we're in one of those like italian bookstores like a borders but like of course it's in italian i can't remember the name of it so we're on some (laughs) free wi-fi and i'm scrolling through and I haven't seen it yet, Jill, and maybe you have, but like Call Me By Your Name is a really oh, big film right now either. in the yeah. indie space. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently it's getting a lot of rave reviews and whatnot. Well, I had some thoughts about the idea of it when it first came out. I was like, this sounds cool. This sounds exciting. Um, um, explain the premise real quick. Like so when... my understanding yeah. is that the premise is it takes place um, in the, I think it's the 80s or sometime between like the 70s and the 90s um sometime in that capacity but it's a it's a it's about this family that lives in the north of italy and they're jewish and they like meet this other gentleman who lives in italy and he's also jewish and so because of this um shared uh faith which is not common to the region or not not which is like there aren't necessarily catholic right it's not a very yeah. populous jewish state um they they spend some time together and i believe they like vacation together and i think they spend some of the ho- holiday together any anyway the idea is that there's a young son in the family who is like underage and he is mm-hmm. like by seeing this older not older he's like the guys i think supposed to be 28 um or 26 yeah. or something by seeing this like really handsome like you know, young but older man in the house, like, and in getting to know him, he essentially, like, starts falling in love. And then the older guy, I think, mm-hmm. has, like, similar feelings about the young man. And so so there's also this interesting moment of, like, age because they're definitely not, yeah. like, one of them is definitely underage and the other is considerably older. And I don't it's necessarily... It's, like, very common in gay themes, It is. Too. And it's very yeah. romanticized. And, like, also, I don't necessarily think... I think there might be a kiss. I think there may not be a kiss. I don't think there's any actual, like, intercourse, as we might describe. Right like penetrative intercourse but like i don't know anyway so i'm there's i've I've got all these like questions because a i haven't seen it yet but part of why i haven't seen it yet is because of this critical article that i believe them wrote but basically it was a commentary about once again here we have the two actors who play the both the queer roles are not openly queer actors like granted one Mm -hmm. of them is like definitely a teenager or like a young man like popping up on the scene um but the other guy is like an accomplished actor who is definitely not queer Mm. um and so i'm like sitting there in this bookstore and like i am starting to get really fucking pissed off because it's the same fucking thing that jill and i have talked about on this podcast before and i'm like fucking god and i'm reading it's a really great article that i think we're gonna have to put in the uh, body of this episode we're gonna link it in so you guys can read it in this case there is a young man who is essentially of teenage like age and y'all apparently this movie is getting rave reviews this fucking kid just launched his career on what a queer fucking story that does not belong to this kid that does not belong to the people the straight people who made the movie it doesn't belong to the people who it doesn't belong to also kind of like the movie's just like dripping with like this weird like white wealthy privilege because it's all about these white people living in italy and like vacationing and like and like part of how they bond is they're both like really really like culturally literate people and so they spend a lot of time talking about like baroque music and painting Mm -hmm. and what you know like i like that shit too but there's a there's a little level there's a level of like like classism oh blatant classism i'm a little confused by this movie for which i have not seen and so i have to i have to admit that but again it's the same fucking argument but i do think that this article makes a much more poignant argument that being this young actor is now going to have a lifelong career because he took a role that did not belong to him and that to me is like an ultimate that that's just like that's just so uncomfortable to me. So unfair to me. So Ezra Miller, you know, the actor who perks up being a wallflower, lots of things, but like they were like actively like dissuaded from coming out as queer because they're like people said like that's going to ruin your career. You know, even though like this actor does identify as queer and like did play a queer character in perks, like it just goes to show that like when it's convenient for people to appropriate like queer stories, then it's like beautiful and touching and, and great. But when, like, it comes down to, like, actual queer people in, the, like, a Hollywood space or just trying to be themselves, like, it's not a, like, welcoming environment. And, like, that dichotomy is, like, should bother you, you know? I haven't seen it either. And, like, I probably will see it because I think, like, most movies are worth seeing 
just for the sake of like being able to critique it and give your thoughts. Absolutely. Especially if you work in the industry. Um, and I have Movie Pass. <laughs> oh my God, Robert got Movie Pass and he loves it's it. The fucking shit. I love it. I'm probably going to see a movie tonight, like because I can. Perfect. Um, we saw uh, Last Jedi like a couple hours ago. Uh, I'm still I emotionally. I didn't even know reeling. there was a Star Wars movie coming out. Like, that's Lol. how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, <sorry>. Jill. <laughs> I know. As much as I try, it's never going to be a thing for me. Dude, it's okay. It's a-okay. Have you seen, like, episode seven, the one that they made, like, over a year ago? No. Rogue One? No? No, of course not. Cool, cool. Never mind. (laughs) Well, I haven't seen, like, both movies, like, 40 times. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. No, I mean, my brother was really into it when we were young, and I was sort of like, meh, like, whatever. No shade to, like, those people who are, like, hardcore fans, but uh, it's just not my thing. Everything you see is double. Anywhere you go, you lose When you're lost in the woods Alone in the world, too Another day older And another day we go To our next topic on our big agenda holiday movies oh my gosh if you know anything about jill Candler, you know that there's one <laughs> holiday movie that touches their soul unlike any other film oh jill my God. give us the deeds you may have even talked about it on this fucking podcast before I but please tell me about I'd your i'd be surprised love. if i hadn't okay um, so my favorite favorite movie for the holiday season is and honestly any time of the year like i will watch this and like weep mm-hmm. but it's the family stone mm. It's the best. It will always be the best. Diane fucking Keaton, ladies and gentlemen, and others. Diane Keaton, Craig T. Nelson, or one of the Wilson brothers. I can't remember if it's Owen or Luke. I think it's Luke, actually. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think he's brunette. Sarah Jessica Parker, isn't it? Like, Rachel McAdams. A young Rachel McAdams. It's like, ugh. Fuck, it's the best movie ever. There's, like, queerness in it, deafness in it, there's race. Like, just Sarah Jessica Parker is a horrible, horrible human that you're just like, why are you Why are you doing the things you're doing and saying what you're saying? Just shut the fuck up. Yep. She can't. Like, it's just so, so beautiful. It's just the best holiday movie ever, and it always will be for me. And, like, I don't know, maybe it says something about myself that, like, when I watch a holiday movie, I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> and feel really sad. <laughs> a lot of people don't. But, I mean, that's my idea of a good time. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately, like, the (laughs) holidays are about exploring forgiveness and catharsis and a lot of things. And so, like, if there's a film or, like, a story out there that can give you that catharsis. Because, like, for me, it's also, like, holidays are, like, completely wrapped up in, like, the the culture of the end of the year. Like, not, yeah. like, for me, New Year's is, like, basically, like, I know it's, like, all the same season and it's not, like, I'm, I'm not, like, a completely novel person for feeling this way. But I can't help but thinking about Christmas and, like, thinking about so much that has gone on in my life and mm-hmm. thinking about, like, what I need to do differently in the year to come. And so, <laughs> like, that is a really fucking, like, heavy premise to operate on for, like, oh, a yeah. whole month or, uh, like, a couple months even. And so, yeah. Yeah, cathartic movies are very, very powerful, which is, is why yeah. it's not a Christmas movie, but it's my all-time favorite movie, and I love to watch it during the holidays, which is Mrs. Doubtfire, because it is oh so God. fucking lovely, it's so fucking touching, it's so fucking yes. beautiful, and it's got a fucking authentic, honest-ass ending, which is not a thing in a lot of movies. So, right. anyway, I'm here for it. I'm here for the Family Stone, Jill. I do love it. Do you remember it's when we all watched it together in college, and, like, there was, and like... you guys didn't like it. No, there was, like, okay, I will admit, like, I think I was a little hypercritical because when I look back at myself in college I was hypercritical of everything because I was just learning how to like be critical and have a critical lens I'll never forget shout out to Ruth Barnes who was the professor of modern dance at our alma mater she's such a fucking cool dude I'll never forget talking to her one time in school about criticism and giving criticism and like I was like yeah I like I don't know Ruth when I go to see like dance and like film and theater like I can't I really feel like I'm being like super critical of it like all the time like not in a bad way just like assessing criticism and like using what I'm learning in in, in school and in class and studio to like examine what I'm watching and she goes yeah no that's super real uh that will definitely calm down when you get older and I was like <laughs> huh and she's like yeah yeah like 
you'll always be able to examine things and be critical of things, but just wait. Like, when you get older, like, you'll be able to just, like, sit back and relax, and within the first 10 seconds of seeing anything, you'll be able to be like, okay, this is probably what this is going to be, and you're going to yeah. love it for what it is, and you're going to examine the criticism you're going to examine. And I was like, that's so fucking wise, dude. Yeah. The family stone is my catharsis. I think it's so important to me that, like, I couldn't, like, date somebody who didn't like it. If they don't like the family stone, it's a fucking deal breaker. <laughs> 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 oh also, Jill, I have to talk to you about this book sometime. It's called The Ethical Slut. And... Oh my god, Cassidy, it's in my wish list. <laughs> oh my god, Jill, it's so good! <laughs> like the third anniversary edition? Did you yeah, get that one? Yeah, I'm on the second anniversary edition. Oh, well, okay. the, the copy I have is the second anniversary edition, okay. I believe. I think they just released a third, like, this year or something. That is so cool. Okay, listeners, um, it's a really great book. It's called The Ethical Slut. There's a first copy, a second anniversary edition, and apparently now a third anniversary edition. And it's basically these two authors who co-authored the book. They start by identifying, like, what the word slut means to them, and they, like, completely reclaim it within like maybe three paragraphs and they talk about the, like slut is what we describe as sexually positive person who participates in the sexual endeavors and sexual experiences and um and like romantic partnerships that they want to uh mm -hmm. devoid of what society deems to be you know pure and chaste and whatever so the book guides you through like all of their like guiding principles for what it's like to be an ethical slut ethical being like they're they're not they're not encouraging or advising people to like be emotionally or physically abusive just because like they want to live a less uh traditional like sexual life and they get into like the etymology and like the cultural history of like relationships and marriage and monogamy and it's yeah. really oh fucking good because i am so fascinated by by like non-monogamous relationships because i am really intimidated by non-monogamous relationships too. so it's giving me a lot of it's giving me a lot of context for what this is and it's really beautiful because like one of the first things they said was like hey y'all jealousy is kind of one of the biggest parts of this that will for many people never go away but we have a lot of advice on how you can navigate jealousy um wow. be because like the, the idea being that you're in a partnership where your partner is willing and encouraged to explore sexual endeavors with various various people including you or not including you um and right. so they talk about jealousy and like how they've navigated jealousy in the various open relationships they've both been in in their lives and, uh, yeah, it's really cool, and it's really smart. Ugh, I want to read it so bad. It's so good, dude. Let me know when you pick it up, and we should talk about it. I will. I almost asked for it for Christmas, but then I was like, well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that like this would be Paula Kamler buys you yeah. the ethical slut lol. I can't I, I mean my mom's cool but like I don't think she's there yet <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah hey do you want to switch over to assisting others yeah let's do it alright so this is the part of the show where we answer a listener question called assisting others and we try to help you be a better ally to the queer community and answer any questions that you have about what it means to be queer, like anything about the, the queer community. So our question of this episode is, what tips do you have for using gender-inclusive language in everyday life, i.e. not assuming gender? Uh, so this is a great question, um, and it's also something that takes a lot of practice, no matter who you are, like even if you are queer and you are like a person who like actively dismantles the, the gender binary like it still takes work and yep. that's important to remember here so this person who's asking like what tips do you have the answer i have is relentless practice <laughs> because gender inclusive language is essentially the process of overriding your assumptions and your brain's desire to categorize people and so we've all been socialized in this like cis hetero patriarchy. So that means that we're all unconsciously gendering people and like objects too, which is weird, like all the time. Even like I do it, e even though like I actively don't believe in the gender binary, it's still like, you know, I was socialized to, to do that. So it's just a process of overriding that and it can take a lot of work. Yeah, I would just say keep practicing and that old habits die really hard. So I think one of the things that I want to uh, emphasize here is that no matter what somebody looks like, you don't know their gender or their pronouns yep. like until they tell you or if it's appropriate, you ask. So it's it's impossible to know someone's true gender and pronouns just by looking at them. There's no fucking way. Like if you if you think that you know it, then that's just you making an assumption unless that person has already told you. If it's an appropriate situation and you feel like, you know, it would be socially and uh, physically safe for you to ask somebody like, 
by all means like that's a really great way to like show person that you respect them right off the bat in the conversation like hey I don't know you I want to make sure that I'm using the proper uh, language to describe you um that's like huge you know but if you're maybe working with the public and this is something that I've struggled with like I work in the restaurant industry I have had jobs for a long time and it's hard to think of things that like replace um like proper uh, respectful titles like ma'am or sir like those are so hard Um, especially like in California I feel like the word miss is like used all the time like almost anybody at like a restaurant like I would say like my impulse would be to call them like miss and that's just like it's a cultural thing here in LA there are like a few things that you can do like you know folks y'all like you all if you don't want to sound southern everyone people guests clients like etc like that but if you're addressing somebody like directly and personally that like you don't know that one's harder but there are a couple of couple of good like I guess alternatives so one of them is comrade one of them is dear friend and the other one would be like honored guest um which it's they're gonna sound clunky and formal that's just you know until you get used to it but they're also real words right like people say these things so as long as you make it normal or make it normal I'm quoting air quoting like it will become normal right and another thing that you can do is like ask the customer's name like people love that shit like, if you're like, oh, excuse me, um, what was your name? Angela. Okay, Angela, would you please come over here or, like, have a seat? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it also makes your your clients, like, experience a little bit more personal, like, you yeah. give a shit. So, like, if you can, like, that's also a perfectly valid way to avoid the, like, you know, ma'am, sir route. Considering whenever you can, like, is there a non-gendered version of this word that I could be using instead? Like, spouse or partner or child? Like, yep. just think about it, you know? There's a lot of different options out there for you. Yep. And if you don't know, just ask. I completely echo everything that Jill has said, and I would add a few more things. I think sometimes when um, thinking about changing a big part of your life aka like deeply gendered language norms it's really helpful to get people involved in what that journey is like be i'm gonna be the nerd in the room and be like get a group of friends or get like a friend involved and like let that be like a new year's resolution or like uh, a monday goal or whatever it is for you and so i i advise getting people involved in this journey of expanding your awareness and being actively inclusive if you make it a group effort it could potentially take some of the stress out of being entirely accountable for essentially just like jill said reprogramming your natural inclination to use gendered language but then again like a caveat to that is like also do not be afraid to correct yourself like immediately in any setting like it was just this past week in our thursday afternoon meeting i was talking to a bunch of my coworkers about something and i said um hey you guys and i immediately said excuse me hey you all and i like i it was just like nobody noticed it was just a quick thing i just did it i just corrected myself hey you all these like small touches of non-gendered language like people will pick up on that because gendered language is so normal yeah it matters who you're around like if you're in an environment where everybody is saying like ma'am sir miss then you're gonna like want to do that too yeah group think yeah whatever you're surrounded by is like what your habits will become basically But at the end of the day, it's, like, not impossible. And, like, Jill and I have both been in experiences where, like, we have had friends who have transitioned or have identified that they are non-binary identifying. And we have a, we have adjusted the use of pronoun yeah. for that person and for that friend. And it may be a process at the beginning that requires a lot of active thinking, but, like, um, maybe get over it. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a part of yeah. someone's life. Um, yeah. And it's, like, actually much easier than you think because rhetoric is such an ever-changing, ever-flowing creature that, yeah. I don't know, as long as you stay vigilant and practice, then you're gonna, you're gonna go down a good road. I so appreciate this question, Jill. Like, that's, this is a thoughtful-ass listener, yeah. and I appreciate things like that i know yeah i get the feeling that this listener is like already on board with like you know neutral language and neutral pronouns or like uh non-binary pronouns like things like that but there are some people who are like staunchly against the use of them as a singular like neutral pronoun which is so like weird to me that i'm just like why fight it it's like already a thing and you're just fucking behind dude yeah catch up like i led a small lecture this summer for like a group of staff and faculty about like queer inclusivity and as it pertains to like our needs so i mean we had a lot of like young students in the high school age who 
like every year we have more and more who are like very open and very comfortable like claiming who they are and what their identity is and what their pronouns are and it's like it's it's so common that like now we're training for it you know what I mean yeah so it was like a point that I made during that lecture was like don't get hung up on the semantics because ultimately they're not important yeah like what what is important is like the respect that a human being feels yep (laughs) you know what I mean and if like if you're getting hung up on the semantics of this, it just means that, like, you're not putting that person first. Can I share an observation with you that I've had recently? I don't yeah. know why, but in the wor- in my current, like, day job workspace, a lot of my peers use the words male and female a lot. Like, yeah. oh, I was in a room with a, a bunch of females or something like that. Like, female. Ew, really? Like, and it's actually more so with the word female than male. So it'll be like, uh, it'll be like, weird. it'll be like, yeah, so there were a lot of females there, more females than males or something like, like it's, it, it was such a, it's such a, to me, a bio, like a biology word. Like Ew, there's something yeah. so sterile about the word female. <laughs> and I think it's because people are afraid of saying the word women like I don't know what it is Jill but I'm so enamored by it and like a lot of the people that say this on a regular basis are women who are like really yeah so me and some of my some of my my female friends or which isn't a weird thing to say female friends I guess but like but like the word female I've never heard it used so much in my life and maybe I have but I've never been aware of it but like it's such a preferred gendered word for a group of people amongst people that I work with and I don't get it like it's it's very enamoring it's also kind of weird that like a lot of people who use the word also share the gender of a group of people or the gender of someone when it is not relevant to the narrative oh my god it's like the same thing with like my mom has a friend who always starts his stories off with being like so i was at lunch with my black friend jan or something and like he will always (laughs) he will always racially identify this woman or this person and my mom was like why on earth do you say that like when it's not critical to the story he's like why well i don't know she's black like i can't tell you she's black and i was like no it's not that you can't tell me it's that like i don't know it's the first thing you told me about her and i don't know why you're so why that's such an important thing to say so primarily i don't know but yeah that is an observation i've made and it's very uncomfortable i don't understand the word female just drives me nuts because it is often a word that i think people use to like describe a group of women in like it by a pejorative sense yeah and like as a way of invoking like feminine qualities like it's like look at all those females like doing like what like and like meanwhile they're all like putting on lipstick like that something about that feels like feels very pejorative i don't know but it's yeah it is a big thing where i work i hear i'm interested in that we'll have to examine that again two observations that i have from that story one a customer the other day was like trying to decide what flavor of like cake they wanted i'm like assuming this was a man because like of what he said next he was like so yeah like what uh if it's like a group of girls like which flavor i should i get and i was like i i literally was like that has no correlation i don't know like it depends on the person and what they like like Oh, you're like, oh, right, women. Thankfully, we have, like, an entire palette just dedicated to female mouths. Yes, female flavor. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, what the hell? Like, the time I was working at Chipotle and some guy was like, I asked him what kind of tacos he wanted, and he was, I was like, crispy or soft? And he was like, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, they're all, like, they're all girls, so, like, whatever. And I was like, the fuck? Like, it doesn't. What? Yeah, like, he thought, like, because they were women, they would want soft tacos. (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to laugh, but I do. What the fuck? People? I laughed at him. Like I was. I pointed out how stupid it sounded. Like I was like, I can't hold back. No. You no. think that a whim, a woman? I literally said to him, "So a woman can't eat a crispy taco." Oh and, like, my god! It was shameful for him. Like yes, make motherfuckers conscious of the stupid shit they say. Yes. Uh, second observation is that like I saw a post by somebody recently, like a queer person, and they were basically like cis people study up for 2018. It was like things that you should like stop fucking doing. Um, and one of them was just a bullet point that was women and trans women. So like the fact that like in one sentence where you you could just say woman, the fact that you have to separate trans women from that word means that you're not acknowledging trans women as women. Yeah. You think that they need like a caveat or something like, yeah. because yeah. they're an other to you. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. Or they're so a different kind of woman. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, you're, they're you're... like not woman enough to be just considered a woman. Yeah. Um, which part of me feels like there. Sometimes it's totally valid to be like identifying that like 
this particular group of women is also trans. Like to make a point you know about I mean? something. So, yeah, right. Yeah, like, sometimes that's you point. need that information, but like yeah. you don't need to like always be like separating them like women and trans women. Like what? <laughs> and also like a lot of people don't like to recognize but like there is hierarchy in language and when we place mm-hmm. certain things first and certain things second, we are inherently mm-hmm. like placing a first value and a second value on those things. Like listening to people like order information and categorize information is always interesting because people are always going to list based Mm -hmm. on um based on cerebral preference like what is most heavily in their memory which is often directly correlated to which is of most what is of most value to them Mm -hmm. um so yeah that that shit right there is just bullshit can i make a third observation (laughs) i went to a party last night and i was speaking with the um the uh, another assumption I'm going to make with 99.9% accuracy is that this person was a cis hetero white man great <laughs> who had a candle on his dining room table called a mandel m a n d l e fucking and it was like the 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 shitty part about it Jill, was that it smelled amazing was it and shaped it was, like a dick it was shaped like a big fuck no it was like it was in <laughs> like some sort of like like oak like cylinder i mean it was super like it was super masculine it was like it was like i'm gonna have a gray wax candle and it's gonna smell like a bonfire and like the scent should be not gay (laughs) (laughs) but it was it was ridiculous i was like any gay man would have like this smelling candle it just smells like cologne in their home but it said mandel and i was like why on earth does this say mandel and he's like i don't know i think it's like an attempt to like um, to like expand the market for candles and I'm like expand the market for candles who the fuck doesn't like candles and if you don't like candles then you probably if like incense if you're afraid to buy a candle like fuck you fuck, fuck you yes you know like, what for all the for all the fearful candle purchasers out there just fuck you I want you to tremble in fear like I if you're afraid to buy a candle because you don't want to be like um, you don't want people to like assume feminine qualities about you like fuck you fuck you I want to see like a five minute silent film of a man who goes to Bed Bath & Beyond <laughs> trying to find a mandal and all the mandals are sold out so he has to buy a three wick candle oh and God. all of them and like they're the, all of the like the candle names are like uh, like effeminate pink or like super aggressively <laughs> feminine. Pink. <laughs> like I want that. I want to see a white straight man tremble because he can't find his mandal. But like, can you believe that fucking mandal? It's the same thing as like the whole fucking so man romp him bullshit. Yeah. Why I mean, on it's earth? Just, it's just another assertion that like masculinity is uh, stronger and better than femininity. Like yeah. because inherently like men don't want to be seen as feminine and and not because like. They want to be mis- They don't want to be misgendered. Like that's not what's going on here. It's that they don't in any way want to be seen as lesser or weaker or you know more emotional. I cannot imagine working in a space where like I was a part of a team where like we had to create products or like manage the processes no around products in which we had to be conscious of the gender of a constituent. Like oh, I work in the donor space and a lot and like in a university so like a lot of the types of information we use is like are you an alumni or not if so what Mm -hmm. did you study like when did you graduate like so how far removed are you from the universe like there are certain metrics and data points that are super valuable to us as we like assess donor information and like just alumni information in general but like I could never imagine like having to place such high value on like the presumed fucking let's let that put that in bold Mm -hmm. presumed gender of a client or a customer. Yeah. Ooh, one time I got a women's club email from Missouri State and I was like, fuck you. You don't know who I am. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Fucking Roy Blunt spoke at Missouri State's commencement uh, this past week. I am. Barf. Guys, fuck Cliff Smart. I'm going to say it. A president of Cliff yeah. Smart, if you're listening, and I fucking doubt it, but one day you probably will, and if you are, because Jill and I are going to get famous, like, fuck <laughs> you. Fuck yeah, you for aligning fuck yourself you. with that fucking garbage man who has fucked you over already, fucked over the entire yep. state's academic budget. That's why, if you haven't noticed, President Smart, none of the chancellors and presidents at the city at the universities in St. Louis have hosted that motherfucker on campuses. Yeah. You can no, be goddamn fucking asshole. sure. He's a goblin. Like, he... I just, Literal goblin! Like, when I see his face, it, like, fills me with a rage that I can't even describe. Like, I, I tweeted some, like, nasty shit at him. Like, I was, like, Yes, pissed. you did, and I RT'd a bunch of nasty <laughs> shit, because I was here for that, and I just couldn't think of my own nasty shit. Yeah. He probably has, like, an 18-year-old assistant who was like, what? But... Yep. 
I just, I can't do it. Like, no, like, I would fucking protest my own graduation if that motherfucker Fuck was speaking. yes, I would not go to that graduation. I would be, like, holding Are- a sign in the audience that was like, tax the rich, fuck Roy Blunt, he's a cunt. I would be, like, the most extra person. Like, they would probably have to throw me out. I'd be honored to be fucking thrown out of my own commencement <laughs> if it meant that, like, I was gonna make that man feel even, like, a pang of frustration or fear. Yes, yes, yes. Jill, do you have any New Year's resolutions? It would be cool to have a theatrical agent this year. Fuck yeah, it would. That's a uh, great That's a great resolution. Yeah. And a voiceover agent. That'd be cool. Yeah, I don't have like a ton of them. It's just, I think that's something I'll think about definitely when I get home and I start like reflecting on my life and like having like, existential crises. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Lol. it always happens to me when I go back to Missouri. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. But, yeah, what about you? Do you have any specific ones? I have just been thinking about this a lot, this story that my friend, uh, shout out Lisa Tejero. She is a, um actor who bases in, she's been basing in St. Louis for a couple of years now, but she's based in Chicago for many, many years. She's a equity actor. She works all over the fucking country, and she's a, a fucking dope-ass woman. She's so cool. Um, and I really admire her, and I love her, and she and I worked together in the first professional show I booked when I graduated college. We were talking one day uh, recently about just, like, you know, day jobs and being actors and working and blah, 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 like, same shit. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, Lise, like, what is that like for you? And she was like, yeah, man, I'll never forget. 1989, that's when I had my last day job. And I was like, what? Tell me about that. And she was like, wow. well, I graduated college about two or three years after, like, before this. And I was doing all these, like, odd-end restaurant gigs. And she was like, you know what? Fuck this. And I said, I'm fucking done. And she up and left her job one day in 1989. And she said, from now on, every single day, my full-time job is getting work or doing wow. things that make me happy or figuring out how I'm going to survive. And she was like, and I've never looked and I've never turned back. And she's like, and every single year since then, I've either booked four shows, 10 shows, what? And like, she's also like an incredibly good actor and very well connected. But like, she even said, she's like, were there bad years? Yes, there are plenty of bad years and, and like darker years. Were there like incredible years where I made buku buck and like booked some really cool shit like all the time? Yeah, there were those years too. And so I don't know, I'm at this point right now where I'm, um, I'm trying to figure out, like, I turned 25 in February, so I've been mm-hmm. thinking a lot about, like, oh, that quarter-life crisis, here it comes, bitch. It's going to come Oof, in full force. About to hit you. Yep. My New Year's resolution is thinking critically about making that reality f- happen for myself, and my New Year's resolution is asking myself, what does that experience in 1989 that Lisa had look like for me? Because it may mm-hmm. not be that I, like, up and quit my job. It may right. be that I do something different. But I also had drinks with a dear friend of mine, Jamie McKittrick, the other night. Uh, shout out, Jamie. She's awesome. Um, who has had, like, a really cool career as well. And uh, we just shot the shit, and she was like, hey, dude, like, everybody's journey is different, which is what I tell people all the It's, like, something I think of all the time. But it's always kind of cool to hear not only like when people say everybody's journey is different, but when people tell you what their journey has been, because it gives more context for that yes. actual statement. Um, so my New Year's resolution is discovering what that move is going to look like for me, because I totally. don't want to look back on my life five years from now and feel like I wasn't consciously preparing myself for a big change. Okay, so this is the part of the show where we give our listeners a shout out for reviewing us on iTunes and leaving us positive comments. Um, Thank you so much. This week, we would like to recognize Kira424. Thank you so much for the review. It really does matter. It means a lot to us. Helps other people find the show. So if you want a shout out, get your ass over to iTunes and leave us a review. Just a shout out. We all want you to be focused because come January 1st, Queer Caucus, as you have known it to be, might be going undergoing a bit of a change. We've yeah. got some really exciting changes coming forward that we want to so leave excited. a little secretive. So we're going to yeah. leave it at that. But I just want you all to know that on January 1st, you should stay tuned. Check your Twitter. Check your Instas. Check your Facebooks. And um, yes. Be prepared for a really exciting, fresh look from the Queer Caucus. Well, shall we sign off? We shall. Jill, I love you so much. I love you too. I will see you in the Queer Sphere, friend. I'll see you in the Queer Sphere. Yay! Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Queer Caucus. Three queers. Too many opinions. One podcast. My name is Cassidy Flynn. And I'm Jill Kamler. And this podcast is produced by Jan O'Leary. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the queer sphere. See you in the queer sphere.